and welcome to From the EBPL Archives, Encore Presentations from the East Brunswick Public Library. I am your host, Melissa Hosick. Welcome, and thank you for joining us this afternoon for today's Lunch and Learn with the Doctor, colon polyp screening, not the same as colon cancer screening. My name is Kathy Churn, and I am a consumer health librarian at East Brunswick Public Library. Today's program is brought to you by St. Peter's University Hospital and the Libraries Just for the Health of It initiative to promote community health and wellness. Today's speaker is Dr. Arkady Broder, gastroenterologist and chief of the Division of Gastroenterology and Hepatology at St. Peter's Healthcare System. Please be aware that this talk is being recorded. Please keep your microphones muted and your webcams off. The recording will be available at ebpl.org slash YouTube. If you have any questions, please type them into the chat box. The doctor will answer questions at the end of the talk. The doctor will not be able to offer medical advice to attendees during this program. And without further ado, I'll turn things over to Dr. Broder. Thank you. Thanks for having me again, always a pleasure. Um, <clears throat> welcome everybody. Uh, today, as I mentioned, we'll be talking about colon polyps. Uh, the title kind of gives away the gist of the talk, which is colon polyp screening not the same as colon cancer screening. And um, I think it's an important notion because most of us, uh, physicians um, and lay people, um, think of colonoscopy and screening for um, colon issues as colon cancer screening. Well, actually, I'd like to really um, discuss that paradigm a little bit with you today and really change that thinking because it's the polyps that we're interested in um, and we're, we're hoping to find way before the cancer develops. A quick disclaimer before I start, even though it's a lunch and learn, I hope you all ate lunch. Uh, this is not necessarily the topic to eat lunch during, although it's what I do all day. Uh, so you'll forgive me uh, as we go through the talk. Okay, a little bit about history of colorectal cancer discovery and uh, how we led up to this colon polyp screening uh, process. Um, in 1896, this was the first time uh, colon polyps were described by Sir Hutchinson. Uh, he uh, was a pathologist, anatomist, uh, who uh, was able to find these growths on the inner lining of the colon called colon polyps. Soon after, 1923, um, as we uh, developed treatments and uh, algorithms for colon cancer, an English physician, um, Dr. Dukes, uh, devised a classification system for colorectal cancer. This is important uh, in terms of staging for colorectal cancer, treatment, um, and um, uh, certainly drove uh, the medical community uh, to find colon cancer, uh, if we could at the time, uh, early on to avoid those late stages. In 1957, we had really the revolutionary discovery of the endoscope, which really allows us uh, till today with some modifications to be able to find colon polyps and amongst many other things that we do in the field of gastroenterology. This is a picture of Dr. Basil Hershkowitz who developed the first fiber optic flexible endoscope. Um, it's a thin tube uh, with a wire connected uh, to an um, uh, energy device. And you could see here the original scopes of fiber optics is before we had the ability to do digital imaging. And so the physician, the gastroenterologist, had to stare through a lens into the scope. 
Now, if you can just imagine for a minute what a colonoscopy would look like, I'll leave it at that with that mental note. Sorry, I get to make these jokes. I'm a gastroenterologist. So in 1965, um, the first mass production of the flexible endoscope took place by a Japanese company, Olympus, until today. They're one of the major manufacturers of the flexible endoscope and our devices. Actually, you'll see here behind me, there are some units. Um, I'm in the endoscopy suite uh, today uh, that um, uh, some of these units that uh, we use during colonoscopy. In 1968, uh, Burl James Kennedy, who was really considered the father of modern oncology, really developed some of our early treatments for colorectal cancer, again, really affecting uh, the colon polyp and colorectal cancer story for us medically. One of the biggest big breakthroughs came in 1966, uh, where a physician, a Japanese-born physician, who was actually a general surgeon, Hiroki Shinya, pioneered the modern colonoscopy technique, particularly with electrosurgical polypectomy. In other words, it's one thing we developed these scopes to look into the intestine, developed a colonoscope to look into the colon, still fiber optic, you see he's got his eye against the lens. Um, it's another thing when we find something to be able to do something with it. And it was uh, Dr. Shinya in the 60s who developed a method where we can remove with electrocautery uh, those polyps that we find inside the colon, really revolutionizing our approach to colon cancer, early detection, and prevention by finding polyps. This is what uh, the early devices looked like uh, that we used for our colonoscopy. And this is a picture of Beth Israel Medical Center. I, sort of nostalgic about it because this was my, my training facility as a, uh, as a resident and, uh, and a fellow. I never met Dr. Shinya. I'm not uh, quite his uh, age group yet. Um, so in 1985, I think the concept of uh, colonoscopy itself and colon cancer screening, as it's uh, still referred to today, uh, was really brought to the forefront when uh, Ronald Reagan was diagnosed with colon cancer and uh, very publicly and openly, this became a discussion uh, in uh, in the communities. Uh, I think prior to this, the medical field, although was was quickly developing and it was more or less becoming standard, this was sort of a taboo topic. It wasn't something that was uh, talked about so often, and so uh, this event really changed in many ways how we look at colon cancer today and colon cancer detection. So much so. Um, in 1997, when Katie Couric's husband uh, passed away from colon cancer at a very young age, in his early 40s, um, Katie Couric really took to the scene um, as a, um, a uh, public figure to promote early detection of colon cancer, prevention of colon cancer by early detection of polyps, and I'll explain uh, how that works in a moment, um, and went on live TV, it was PG-13, but live TV, um, and uh, showing her own colonoscopy to, to the community. And around the same time, her sister Emily Kirk, who was involved in politics at the time, convinced uh, Senator Gilmore to sign a bill with all these uh, folks to um, uh, promote colon cancer screening uh, with the Center for Medicare and Medicaid, CMS, um, as a preventative health uh, measure. By doing so, it altered how our insurance companies, unfortunately, we answer to them ultimately, um, allow for colonoscopy, colon cancer screening, um, and the cost associated with that. So from 85 to 2000, sort of light years of uh, change and prevention of colorectal cancer. 
Fast forward to today, that's our group. We're always uh, very fancy and dressed up for colonoscopy. Um, and we're here at St. Peter's uh, bringing the fight to colon cancer. And when I say fight, there really is um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of resources out there in, in the community in helping to prevent colon cancer, helping to treat and find early colon cancer. It is one of the only diseases that is truly preventable. And all you got to do is get your colonoscopy or screening exam done. This is one of those organizations, the American Cancer Society and the Colorectal Cancer Roundtable and their push for 80 in every community. In other words, we want to get at least 80% of the community screened for colon polyps and colorectal cancer. Aimed this year, we've been talking about it for the last two, three years, and now it's really out there and uh, established and the insurance companies um, have caught on. We're colon cancer screening. It's still called colon cancer screening. I like to refer to it as colon polyp screening. Um, it has changed in terms of the uh, earlier age of, of uh, colorectal cancer screening that's needed for average risk patients. In other words, you don't have your own history or family history. And that has changed to age 45. So now if uh, uh, you've turned 45 years old, uh, you are um, uh, advised to screen for colorectal cancer. So happy birthday. This is just a brief outline of what we'll be discussing today. Um, I'd like to discuss the epidemiology and biology of colorectal cancer, some risk factors involved, excuse me, some potential protective factors, and then um, I really am not going to spend time on treatment and outcome in any, any significant way. Um, this is data from the World Health Organization. You know, they're kind of uh, really on have a platform uh, this past year with the corona pandemic. I'm sure everyone's heard of the World Health Organization. It's sort of the, the broader CDC. Um, and this is a little bit older data, but they tend to be a year or two lagging. If you look, colon cancer is the second most common malignancy amongst all people, uh, amongst uh, all ages and all sexes. Um, and it is the second, excuse me, third most common uh, cancer in terms of occurrence. And then in terms of uh, ma malignancy-related deaths or colon uh, uh, or cancer-related deaths, colon cancer is the second most common uh, in the world amongst all, uh, all people. In the United States alone, this can be translated to at least 140,000 new cases this past year, and this number does is true. That's a lot of people. Um, in other words, about one in twenty will be diagnosed with colorectal cancer in their lifetime. So it's it's really a very common disease, unfortunately. In terms of who's most susceptible, and this is one of those uh, data points that really drove the medical community to change the advised uh, age uh, of colon cancer screening to an earlier age. If you look at these graphs. Um, the typical age group we associate with colon cancer, like ages 50 and above, um, all these uh, lines are dropping down in terms of incidence. How often are people in these ages being diagnosed with colon cancer? And we think this is all because of colonoscopy and colon screening, that we're finding these polyps early, preventing colon cancer. The one group, and a little bit in, the, in, in this group as well, you could see here trending uh, towards the up, uh, upward direction, but it's disturbing to see that the younger age groups are all rising in incidence. And this is up to about 2012, and we've seen this number peak even higher 
uh, over the past uh, uh, five to, uh, to 10 years. Really significant increases, unfortunately, prompting us to change the recommended start uh, of colorectal cancer screening. This is a startling statistic, really, uh, once again, driving that point home where one in seven colon cancer patients among those diagnosed already with colon cancer are under the age of 50. This was the New York Times article that kind of uh, got picked up and picked up this information and published about three years ago now. More young people are dying of colon cancer was the headline, and this really prompted a lot of publicity and thankfully change in how we approach colorectal cancer screening. A little bit about biology. This is a busy slide, lots of uh, fancy terms, not important. There won't be a quiz later for you guys. But in general, when we talk about polyps, this is what we mean. Normal colon has this lining. It's sort of like a skin lining, if you would imagine, on the inner tube of your colon. That skin lining is called the mucosa. There's some genetic changes that can happen to that lining that start to overproliferate and overgrow almost like a callus would look, or a skin tag on the outside of your skin. As these changes happen, more mutations can occur. As these mutations grow, they force this skin tag to continue to grow and grow into what a typical polyp would look like, this mushroom-like skin tag appearance. And unfortunately, as that continues and more additional genetic abnormalities occur, uh, that will form carcinoma or colon cancer. Uh, when it comes to cancer, um, really with almost any tumor type, you could see here as the tumor grows, it invades the lymphatics and can then spread to other organs. We want to find polyps before they have a chance to undergo this transformation and form colon cancer and remove these polyps during your colonoscopy. That's the whole purpose of doing colonoscopies. And if we do find it, hopefully prevent cancer from ever happening. But if we unfortunately find cancer, we hope to find it in those very early stages before it's spread to other organs and it's become too late. This is what a picture of a colon polyp looks like inside the colon. Again, I hope everyone ate lunch. But it looks like a little skin tag. You see this little bubble here, almost like a mushroom. This is normal lining of the colon. And this is what the polyp looks like. As it grows, it grows into a larger polyp. We can still work on either of these and remove them uh, quite easily. Unfortunately, as that continues to grow, sorry, um, it can develop into this nasty looking, still almost like a polyp, but this is, I could assure you, a cancer at this point. And this is where we want to intervene. We don't want to find these. And in fact, when we do colonoscopy, we almost never find cancer less than 5% of the time. Uh, we do often find these polyps and remove them. What are some symptoms that could be associated with colorectal cancer? And the caveat here is if you wait until symptoms, cancer has developed. Polyps do not exhibit symptoms. When you have polyps, typically we don't know about it until we do the colonoscopy and find it. And we want to find it as a polyp, remove that polyp, and avoid these symptoms and avoid this cancer from ever developing in case it's not abundantly clear to you yet. But um, I think it's very important, whatever exam is done, that you choose the one that helps you find and prevent and remove those polyps. If you do have symptoms of blood in your stool, abdominal discomfort, uh, change in your stool habits, constipation, decreased appetite and weight loss, these two being really quite concerning, uh, we get worried for potentially colorectal cancer. Certainly if you have family history and other predispositions, uh, that definitely should prompt an evaluation with a gastroenterologist. 
going back to uh, some risk factors. Well, when we talk about risk factors in medicine, there are two types. There's the non-modifiable, it means, I'm sorry, you're stuck with it, nothing you could do about it, mom's fault, essentially. And then there'll be the modifiable that we'll talk about in a moment. With the non-modifiable, as you would expect, it has to do with um, uh, genetics and family genetics. The most significant risk factor that's not modifiable is somebody who is first degree that's been diagnosed with colon cancer, particularly first degree with colon cancer at a young age, at a young age, okay? So that should really prompt you to start your colon cancer screening much earlier. Usually we say 10 years before the person at a young age was diagnosed, but to be very uh, hopefully alert and astute uh, about getting your colon cancer screening. The other potential risk factors are inflammatory bowel disease, that's Crohn's and colitis, um, and having diabetes, although not extremely high, but still increased risk factors. Risk factors that are modifiable, meaning things that you could do to avoid hopefully developing colon cancer. This is just good advice, pretty much any medical condition. Um, alcohol consumption in moderation, obesity, too much red meat or processed meat, and smoking. I mean, this is probably not a surprise to anyone here, but avoiding these things can hopefully help you avoid development of colon polyps and colon cancer. However, by avoiding these things, you are not by any means guaranteed to be protected from colon cancer. It is a far more complex entity than just what you eat and what you drink. What about protective factors? What can you do to avoid it? I get this question all the time in the office. So there are some things that have been helpful. I'm going to walk through some of the clinical information here. In general, unfortunately, there's nothing you could do to truly, truly 100% protect yourself, but we'll go through it anyway. Some modifiers, physical activity or exercise. It's been consistently shown that people who are physically active have a 25% lower risk of developing colon cancer. Additionally, those that are physically active before their colon cancer diagnosis are much less likely to pass away from colon cancer uh, than those who are less active, even if they're diagnosed with colon cancer. Even those people who are otherwise sedentary still have a chance to reduce their risk by becoming more active later in life. When I say active, what do I mean? Well, the American Cancer Society and the CDC both recommend that adults engage in at least 150 minutes, so two and a half hours of moderate activity, like brisk walking per week, or 75 minutes of vigorous activity, uh, like running or uh, cardiovascular exercise uh, per week. So nothing too crazy. You know, you could do 20, 30 minutes a day and really get away with, with uh, really a strong protection as far as colorectal cancer and other diseases. What about diet? I get this all the time. What can I eat? What supplements can I take? You will see tons and tons of stuff out there on the internet. Google loves to feed you information. But as far as science goes and medical literature and things we can prove to our best ability, um, dietary patterns really uh, influence uh, risk uh, somewhat directly, but mostly indirectly. Um, and that has to do with uh, the intestinal microbiome. That's a healthy gut bacteria that we talk about. Um, dietary supplements that can help with avoiding mutation of that polyp. You saw in the initial pictures when we, we progress from normal lining of the intestine to colon cancer, there are multiple mutations that occur. Well, your cells need fuel to help 
uh, replicate and avoid those mutations. And some of the things you can give them that's good fuel include folate, calcium, vitamin D, and I think most important, fiber. Really, that has the strongest evidence behind it is fiber, high fiber diet to prevent, hopefully, colon pop and colon cancer formation. And obviously, indirectly, by reducing weight when you eat uh, and do the right thing. What about medicines? Are there any medications out there that can help prevent colorectal cancer? Well, there's a little bit of uh, clinical data there that aspirin and non-steroidals like ibuprofen, Motrin, can lower the risk of colon cancer. However, everything comes at a cost. Nothing's for nothing, as they say. And unfortunately, uh, all medicines, all medicines have some potential side effects, both short and long-term. The question is always is risk-benefit. Is the side effect worth taking the risk? Is the benefit greater uh, than the potential side effect? In this case, it is not recommended to start aspirin or uh, NSAIDs um, uh, just for protection alone, unless you otherwise would benefit from that aspirin. So those of you who your doctor told you because you have blood pressure issues or cholesterol or diabetes or some other reason to start a baby aspirin, well, um, those are, um, I'm sorry, my screen is, okay. Um, those are, are people who will benefit the most because you're getting the benefit of cardiovascular prevention and also colorectal prevention with a baby aspirin. If you do not have a need for baby aspirin, otherwise um, you're very unlikely to benefit and should not start baby aspirin or NSAIDs. All that said, the number one preventative, truly preventative tool for colon cancer and modifier of colon cancer occurrence is screening, finding it before it's cancer, finding it as early cancer. I want to share with you some great tweets. These are real tweets. I didn't make this up. Uh, this one is from Will Smith. I'm sure you all know who he is. He tweeted after his colonoscopy. They said you can't get 50 million followers on IG's Instagram. Um, there are any teenagers on here that will know. I had to look this up um, without showing your butt. So here I am getting a colonoscopy for the clout. Link for my bio and vid. So he uh, figured out how to get popular. Um, this is Jimmy Kimmel going for his colonoscopy with his buddy Katie Couric. Uh, you all remember her from our initial discussion about the history of colonoscopy and colon cancer screening. She's actually become an incredibly proactive uh, 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 speaker um, and very, very involved in promoting colon cancer prevention, polyp detection, colon cancer screening. She's involved in all the gastroenterology societies, uh, donates lots of uh, funding to help fund research. Really, she's she's been uh, remarkable uh, in propelling uh, colon cancer screening uh, in the gastroenterology communities. Mike Huckabee is probably my favorite tweet. I just had to share it. Um, he tweeted this a couple of years ago after getting his colonoscopy. He wrote, had a colonoscopy today. My doctor was actually Russian. Now that's what I call Russian meddling. They put him to sleep with the same stuff Michael Jackson used too soon. When I woke up, I moonwalked right out of the hospital. Maybe that was a little bit too far of him. But um, unfortunately, Michael Jackson passed away some years ago. And the medication that was used uh, that he passed away from that he was using to go to sleep is the same medicine used for anesthesia sedation and sometimes during colonoscopy the difference is uh, we have an anesthesiologist doing it when you're sleeping and we're monitoring you very carefully uh, unfortunately michael jackson fell for that trap and uh, was injecting uh, himself with it and uh, that's never never a good thing so when we talk about colon cancer screening or for the purposes of this talk polyp prevention and polyp screening. 
um, these are some of the tests that are available to us that we should start to consider at age 45 unless you have a risk factor. They fall into two broad categories. The first is the stool-based category. The next is the direct visualization test category. The stool-based category, many of you have heard about probably. They come in three different types. It's not critical to remember it, but suffice it to say, these two are yearly. The Fit DNA or ColoGuard is the new kid on the block, but it falls under this category. Some of you may have heard of it. Falls into the closer to three-year category. Okay, so you do these pretty frequently. The caveat is ColoGuard included. These tests look for colon cancer very well. ColoGuard looks for advanced precancerous polyps relatively well. None of these stool-based tests are able to find polyps early. They're not able to find and detect polyps that are not advanced. And therefore, if you're opting to use this type of screening, you're essentially waiting and hoping that you don't develop colon cancer because this will find cancer, not polyps, very well. On the other hand, direct visualization tests allow you to find polyps way before, hopefully, they develop into colon cancer remove those polyps, as we described before, and prevent colon cancer from ever occurring. These tests include sigmoidoscopy, CT colonography, and colonoscopy. Obviously, um, you would imagine colonoscopy is, I believe, something that is most useful in this setting, and it is true in terms of the scientific data. Colonoscopy um, not only allows you to find polyps early at the best possible rate when compared to all these other tests, but also allows you to remove it during the same session, thereby preventing colon cancer from ever occurring. Right now, the recommendation is if you're at average risk, meaning no family history, and you have a colonoscopy at age 45, and we don't find any polyps, and it was a good, clean preparation, you don't have to have one for another 10 years. We've really shifted from every five years to 10 years. That's different from these other exams. They range closer to five years. CT colonography, I'll just mention it. I get this question all the time. Everyone kind of assumes, let me just get a CAT scan. I don't want to go through the whole process. Well, there's two sort of uh, problems with going for that CT colonography. Number one, insurance will not approve it until there's been a colonoscopy attempt that could not complete it. Or if you're morbidly ill, that you cannot undergo sedation for your colonoscopy. <clears throat> so far, um, it's very rare to find people that you're even considering looking for polyps that are so sick that they can't get sedation. The CT colonography also requires you to prep. So anyone that's had a colonoscopy before will tell you that the worst experience part is the cleanse the day before. You have to be up, you have to be in the bathroom, you have to take lots of fluid that doesn't taste so good. You have to clean out your bowel, otherwise we're not going to be able to see anything but stool. Well, CT colonography requires you to do the same cleanse. In fact, it requires you to do almost twice as much of a cleanse as you would for a colonoscopy. So anyone that's had one, if you know family members, ask them what it was like. They'll tell you the test itself is a breeze. You're sleeping comfortably, probably the best sleep of most of our lives. For 15, 20 minutes, the doctor does their thing. They look around, they find polyps, they remove it. It's really the day before. And even that, we're getting much better at newer cleanses, smaller volume cleanses, uh, adjusted diets, um, I suggest you speak with your gastroenterologist about it. So just again to drive the point home, and uh, I'll do that a few more times here, 
Stool-based tests meant to find cancer, not polyps. Direct visualization tests meant to find polyps before they become cancer. That's a big distinction. How are we doing in terms of colon cancer screening rates? Are people going out there and, and doing the right tests? Um, we mentioned earlier there's a big push to hit 80%. Well, we've got quite a bit of room to go here still, unfortunately, particularly in New Jersey. And actually, Jersey is one of the better states um, in terms of rates of screening. We're still below 70% for the majority of the population. So we've got quite a ways to go to reach that 80% threshold, um, uh, uh, threshold. Excuse me. In other words, one in three people in the United States are still not up to date on their colon cancer screening. So get your screening done. <clears throat> when you look at colon cancer screening and you think about the impact that you can make by finding those polyps and getting rid of them or finding that cancer early on, at least 60% of deaths from colon cancer could be prevented with good screening, at least 60%, if not more. When we look at what colon cancer screening offers you, <clears throat> when you're looking for polyps, it can actually prevent cancer from ever occurring. As compared to prostate, prostate exams, PSAs, you're looking for cancer. You're not going to find it before it's cancer. And even, unfortunately, mammograms and breast exams, you're looking for early cancer changes. You're not going to be able to find those pre-cancer, early, early pre-cancer changes very well with any other exam. All right, let's talk a little bit about treatment. I'm not going to concentrate on this very much. Um, but suffice it to say, and really, I'm sure you're not surprised, but as the stage of cancer increases, um, stage one, stage two, three, four, as the stages go up, the survival drastically drops. That said, localized colon cancer has five-year survival rates, which May medical talk means cure of at least, I would say today it's probably closer to 95%. So it's almost always curable when found early. Regional means it started to spread out of the colon but it hasn't spread to other organs. Still, 70 to closer to 75% today. Cure rates, cure rates. Excellent chances when found early if you have to deal with it. And distant, unfortunately, with metastatic disease is 13 to up to 20%. Still, we're doing a good job of curing people, even with metastatic colon cancer. It's an amazing accomplishment, but far, far less effective when it's spread versus found early, right? This is really a stunning difference. So in summary, colon cancer remains the second leading cause of cancer death. Both men and women are affected, and both should be screened. Colon cancer rates are rising and continue to rise in the young people, unfortunately. We expect at least 52,000 deaths a year, where screening can reduce that death by at least 53%. So that's a lot of people. Over five years, if everyone went out and got screened, you can prevent at least 75,000 deaths. Colonoscopy is really the most effective way to find polyps in early cancer and prevent colorectal cancer death by far. And if you imagine what 75,000 people could look like, I'm a Jets fan, so I don't think I've ever seen, unfortunately, a stadium full, but this is a, 
in pre-COVID life, when you can get so many people into one space, this is how many people could be saved by almost doing nothing, a colonoscopy, some sort of colon cancer screening test. This is the uh, updated post-COVID uh, version of that picture, but uh, that's really quite remarkable. And I think that really something that we should let, let this sink in. When we talk about screening, options include stool testing and endoscopy or direct visualization testing. If caught early, it can be cured up to uh, probably greater than 90% of the time. Only colonoscopy can both detect and prevent colon cancer by removing those polyps. All that said, even though I really believe and strongly urge you to consider colonoscopy as the tool that you use to screen for colon polyps and prevent colon cancer, the best screening test, the best one to do, is the one that you're willing to do. Because if you're not willing to have a colonoscopy, that's fine. But consider your options. Please don't wait until it's too late. And I'll end with this, one of my favorite cartoons. <laughs> I really uh, uh, like to share it, but this is the doctor you know, with his patient in the room, and he's saying, you don't need a colonoscopy, sir, but I'm sending you for one because, quite frankly, I don't like you. And that's it for me. Okay, great. Thank you, Dr. Broder. So um, at this point, we'll open up for Q&A. And if you have any questions, type them into the chat box. And as a reminder, the doctor is unable to offer medical advice to attendees during this program. Um, we already have some questions that were typed into the chat. Um, the first one is, is there a correlation between skin tags and polyps? Um, no. Um, in, in general, I just use that as an example to, to kind of uh, bring the point home of what, what a polyp is like. Um, but uh, skin tags themselves, when benign, I, not the cancerous type of skin tags, right? So if you have basal cell or melanoma, that's a different story. But in general, the benign skin tags do not predispose you to colon cancer, no, or colon polyps. Is it true that people over 75 years old no longer need colonoscopies? Um, that's true with an asterisk. Um, and um, really, uh, the the way we make decisions medically uh, when, when we uh, present our patients with their options is often driven by very large trials, looking at many, many thousands, hundreds of thousands of people and kind of making a decision uh, what would the average person benefit from the most. Um, there is a government agency called the United States Preventative Task Force, sort of like the CDC, WHO, along those lines. And their role is to recommend, based on large trials to physicians, uh, what the best average approach for an average patient is in terms of screening. That includes prostate, that includes breast, um, pap smears, etc. When it comes to colon cancer, the United States Preventative Task Force recommends having a conversation with your 75-year-old patient to stop if the patient had recently, within a lot of time frame, a normal colonoscopy without a history of polyps in that patient. If the patient does not have an increased risk for colon cancer, like family history. And if the patient has a lifespan expected of less than 10 to 15 years. In other words, if we think it's someone who is sick from other things that they're not going to unfortunately uh, be here in the next 10 years or so, yes, you should stop at age 75. On the other hand, 
I see many, many patients today who are 75 um, in terms of their date of birth, but organically and physically and mentally are more like 55 and are going strong. Um, those are patients that you could still offer colon cancer screening. Um, unfortunately, the number one risk factor for any cancer development, but certainly colon cancer falls into that, is age. Regardless of what you do in life, regardless of um, what your family history is, growing older allows for any cell lining in any organ, colon included, to undergo more and more replication. With every replication, there's more and more opportunity for genetic abnormality, which all drives that, you saw that slide earlier, that polyp to cancer formation pathway. And so if you're 75 and in good health and willing to have a colonoscopy at age 85 or age 80, we, we do perform them sometimes in the right setting. Do you know if FAP skips generations if you have the defective gene? Unfortunately, um, if you have the APC gene and you have the diagnosis of FAP, it is considered autosomal dominant. In other words, unfortunately, it does not skip generations. It's in the chromosomes and transmitted directly to your first degree relatives. And how often is a colonoscopy recommended if there is a family history of colon cancer? Um, th that's a bit more of a complicated question because it, there are lots of variables that go into that. Um, it depends on what you mean by family history. Is it first degree, second degree, multiple first degree? Is there a syndrome or is it just a standalone occurrence? It also depends on your own risk factor. Um, and lastly, uh, it also depends on at what age these family members were diagnosed with colon cancer. In general, in general, most people with family history, I put that in quotes, increased family his, increased risk family history, will get a colonoscopy every five years. If you have FAP, it's much more frequent. If you have other conditions, it may be more frequent. So it, it really is a conversation to have with your gastroenterologist. Okay. And then the last question, would finding polyps in other areas of the body be a reason to go for colonoscopy earlier than the standard recommended age? Um, that's a good question. I, I'm going to extrapolate a, a, a little bit from that question. Um, in terms of going for colonoscopy at an earlier age, so uh, as you, as you uh, may remember, we spoke about the change from age 50 to 45 now being the new, new age of uh, starting your colonoscopy testing. Um, and that came from research over a decade showing that there's continued increased risk. Everything we do in medicine in the United States is about weighing risk and benefit. Unfortunately, nothing we do comes without any risk. I mean, you know, these times are very clear uh, about uh, about that unfortunate reality. You know, you can't can't get in your car and drive to work without risk of something happening, right? So certainly that applies to a procedure. If we're going to recommend as physicians something to a patient that carries potential risk, the benefit of doing that has to far outweigh the risk significantly. When it comes to colonoscopy, the risk is minimal, really minimal. We're talking less than one in 10,000, but there is risk involved. Uh, you're getting sedated. So anytime you get sedated, we worry about your breathing being too shallow and having issues with the sedation. We're using a thin tube, a scope to go into the bowel. 
that can cause tears. We're removing polyps and cutting away a tissue that can cause bleeding and tears. Even though it's very rare, one in 10,000, you know, it's only rare until you're, you're, uh, you're the one, right? So we, we're very careful about recommending testing. When you weigh the risk of doing testing in very young people versus the potential benefit, as of right now, there's not enough scientific evidence to say, let's just start at age 18, as soon as you're an adult. Do colonoscopy for everyone. What could be so bad? Let's find polyps and get rid of them. We're not there yet because after 10,000 18-year-olds get colonoscopies, at least one of them are going to wind up with a tear and bleeding. And that's really not a risk that's worth, worth taking because the likelihood of finding polyps in those people is still quite low. In terms of polyps in other organs and other parts of the body, um, there's really no direct benefit in most people. In someone who has FAP, and there are lots of syndromes similar to FAP that fall under the heading of FAP-like disease, they may develop polyps anywhere in the intestine, stomach, um, small intestine, other areas. Those are people that definitely benefit and must have uh, evaluation of other organs to look for polyps. And another question came in, if a polyp was found during a colonoscopy, when should the next colonoscopy be scheduled? It depends uh, on a number of factors. It depends on the type of polyp. So when we find polyps, we cut them out, we send them off to the lab, and a pathologist, which is a type of physician, looks at it under the microscope and tells us what type of polyp we're dealing with. If it's a completely benign polyp, Usually we say within 10 years. If it's what's called an adenoma, which is the type of polyp that could lead to changes that are precancerous and cancerous, typically we say within five to seven years. That's been altered recently, so uh, five to seven years. And then it depends on how many polyps. If there are multiple, it could be three years. If they're advanced looking and concerning looking, it could be even closer to a year later. So it really depends on the variables surrounding that polyp and the exam. It's also important to know how well was the cleanse. Some people aren't able to cleanse well, and that forces us to repeat that procedure within a year. Um, so best uh, to answer that question with, with detail of that polyp and to have that conversation with, with your physician. Okay, so I think that's it for questions. And um, so just want to say thank you, Dr. Broder, for taking the time to present on this topic and to answer all our questions. Um, and then also thank you, everyone, for joining us for today's talk. And take care and stay safe. Thank you. Right, Thanks, thank everyone. You. Be well. Happy holidays. Take thank care. You. Take care. Thank you for joining us for this week's Encore presentation. To join us for live programs, or to learn more about the East Brunswick Public Library, visit our website at ebpl.org.